So the other day I came in about Tuesday, I couldn't talk. So I, I, I came in the other day and, and the TV was on. Uh, it's kind of like the OET. It's, it's, I don't get cable. There's uh, something else and there's Create. Well, on this Create, I know the film had to be 20 years old. I know it was. Because they were wearing funky clothes and they had funky hairdos. But they were running a marathon somewhere. Somewhere. And so what it was, it was behind the scene of a marathon. And I think marathon is about 26.2. Somebody bought me a bumper sticker, you know, the 26.2. Mine said 0.0. That's what it said. And so what they were doing, they had about a 15-minute segment. And, and it wasn't even the United States. I'm going to say it was either in Ireland or Scotland, but they were running a marathon. And what was funny about it, at, there was about two, three, four hundred of these people, mostly men, and they were all high-fiving and hugging and embracing and having whatever they were drinking before the race began. And they were all in great shape, you know, and then the thing continued. And I guess for 26.2 miles. And then uh, what was funny about it along the way that, that uh, you see people just give up and, you know, just give out and, and huff and puff. And, and it would show the end of it, and they did. And while you watch the end of it, you know, some of them smarty pants, it looked like they never even broke a sweat. You ever went to school people like that run track? I did. I took a shop in high school, but I couldn't run a lick. So they let us out about two miles, and I told one of my buddies to have me pick him up so he'd take me to the gym. That's the way it operated. <laughs> but, I mean, some of these guys, I mean, after running 26 miles, I mean, they were just, they were just in good shape. They were signing autographs, and, and it looked like they could go another 26 miles. And some of them was, they crossed the finish line and they'd, they'd just lean over, gasping for breath. Some of them was wincing. Some of them was limping. Some of them was being carried by other people. And then they kind of went to the real meat of the thing. About halfway through it, they showed a bunch of them on the side of the road laying in the bar ditches. One of them even had a white towel with the word taxi wrote on it. <laughs> just gave up. So what I want to talk to you for today and next week is about this word called endurance for the Christian life. Endurance in the Christian life. And we're going to slowly go through this, but I will tell you, it's, it's wonderful. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, let us run this race with endurance that is set before us. Now, according to whatever translation of Bible that you have, some of you, this is the SEV, ESV, excuse me, but some of you may say patience. Some may say perseverance. And what I like about the word perseverance even better, but it's two words in the Greek, is the word per and severance. And it's not like a severance package like you get when you retire. It means to be have a limb severed. And when you put the word per in the Greek, it means to continue forward. And you put these two words together, it means that even though that I've been injured, injured horribly, I have, I have experienced severance in my life, whether it be a friend, a family member, the neighbor's cat got run over. Yes. Or I've had something severed in my life. I'm still continuing forward. Every one of us we're familiar with something being severed from our life. We buried someone way too quickly. Someone that promised that they would at the altar a year later did not fulfill on that vow. 
So in the Christian life, we're not exempt from severances. But we've been commanded that even though that we experience things, that we have been commanded to run this race with endurance. So for about 25 minutes or so or somewhere, I'll, I'll, I'll explain what this is. The, the, word, the word, next week we'll talk about the Greek of it, but the word endurance really is not flashy and it's not exciting. But we're only told in Scripture that we'll have to have it if we're going to finish this thing. Because it's not how we begin this thing, it's how we end this thing. And I'm here to tell you this morning that we as believers of Christ, you may, you may start out with a bang and a blast and say, I will, but, but where are you 26.2 miles later down the road? And it's going to take endurance. And you can't bind the fact that Jesus promised you that everything will go rosy and right because he did not do that. Matter of fact, we talked about this last week. We've been promised the opposite. We've been promised temporary trials, but we've also been promised a constant companionship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So he's telling us, run this race with endurance. So some of you may say, well, what in the wide world of sports does that mean? Well, we'll explain. And what's funny about this, the Apostle Paul, when he writes the letter to the Corinthians church, before he even mentions the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit, he gives him the resume of his afflictions. He's got a pile of trials. And later on in Corinthian church, he said, I've learned to boast in these things and I've learned, I've learned to rejoice in these things, not in the fact that I went through these things. I went through these things because Christ was made powerful and real in me. So if you're going through something and the key word is going through something, the word through is very important. So the first question that most inquiring mind wants to know is, how does one acquire endurance? All right? How does one acquire endurance? Evidently, by this statement of, of or Hebrews 12, that some of us hasn't learned this yet. Some of you this morning, that you're on the side of the road and you're looking for a spiritual taxi to come get you, and that's probably not going to happen anyway soon. So, I'm here to condition you. I'm here to prepare you ahead of time. So how does one acquire endurance? So the Bible said in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, suffering produces endurance. Well, now, thank you for shouting me down. Can anybody agree the Bible says we've got to run this race with patience, I mean, with patience, endurance, and perseverance? I mean, did we all read that together? So wouldn't it be pretty good? How do I get that? And you're going to say, well, God gives it to me automatically. Nay, nay. That's something we do. When he says, put on the armor of God, he said, I'm not going to dress you. He said, you do it. There's some things that God will do for you, and there's a lot of things God expects you to do for yourself. You don't have to pray to pay your taxes. Just pay them. You don't have to pray to cross the road. You just look both ways and go. There's some things that God leaves up in our court of responsibility. So endurance is one of them. And I'm telling you, there you know a bunch of them that has been on the roadside. I'm not telling you they're going to go to hell. I'm just telling you that they have somewhere quit and gave up somewhere between 
point A and point B. And I'm telling you that God wants you to make the whole trip and be successful and to be happy about it. How do you do that? With endurance. So how do you get endurance? Here's the answer. Suffering produces endurance. So theoretically, you could say that, Nita, just you're raising your children, you ought to have endurance with what you put up with or the suffering that you go through. But the Bible said, if you want to have endurance, it, it comes by suffering. So in, in, in scholastics of, of, of the scriptures, it's referred to as circular reasoning. The circular reasoning is these two statements. Number one, that you need endurance to make it through the trials. But number two, you get endurance by going through the trials. It's circular reasoning. So let me figure this out. I'm going to need endurance if I'm ever going to make it through trials. You got it. But I've got to go through endurance in order to get those trials. And how does that work anyway? And does that even make sense? And the answer is yes. You see, right now, you may be, your reserves of endurance may be completely dry. You started out with a bang. You, you came to the altar and you raised your right hand. You told God a bunch of promises you hadn't kept. And right now, right now, some of us have been saved for 40 years. I understand that. But right now, if we're not careful that we reach the point where they be cover one-niner or whatever it may be, that we find ourselves where the, our reserves of endurance is out. And you find yourself spiritually on the side of the road with your thumb sticking out or waving a white towel and saying, I've had enough. And if you've ever done this, which you have, you're in good company. If you've ever woke up one morning and said this to yourself, nothing is working, nothing is going right, the wicked seems to be prospering, and I seem to be the one that's abused and afflicted, and God, I don't think this thing is going to work for me anymore. I don't think I'm going to go any further. You're in good company. Because that person on the right or the left of you has said the very same thing. We all. I say we all need endurance. Now, what happens is, I want you to listen to this great Old Testament prophet named Jeremiah. I mean, he writes all these chapters and you just kind of glean into this. And, and, and have me know Jeremiah would never say anything that's like bonehead. <laughs> Lamentations 3, 17 and 18. I gave up on a life altogether. Uh, let me clear my throat. This is Jeremiah. I'm the man who has seen trouble. Trouble that comes from my neighbor, my in-laws. Uh, no, I'm the man who has seen trouble. Trouble coming from the lash of God's anger. So he's telling you that God is working on him. I don't know about you, 
but it, I, I know you're perfect. I'm just going to deal with this section over here because they're not. Have you ever? Nita, go ahead and duck. You're, you're good. <laughs> Melissa, you're good. Have you ever done anything stupid? And God said, don't do it, but you do it anyway. Thank you, Jeffrey. You're the only one going to heaven. I thank you. <laughs> and, and, and I don't care if it's an argument, running a red light. I don't care what it is. The Holy Spirit said, don't do it, don't do it, don't, don't do it. And you know what you do? You do it. And you know what God says? That's, that's okay. I love you anyway. Come here and I'll give you a hug. That's not biblical. I'm not telling you that God's going to smash you like a roach. But if you believe in the concept that, and I love, somebody posted, John MacArthur said this, so what? You get offended God's word. God's been offended in your lifestyle for so long. It's okay for you to be offended. Wow. So every once in a while when we do something like dumb and stupid and, and, and we, there is a correction by God. And the Bible says in Hebrews, if you're not corrected, you're a bastard child. It means you don't belong to him. So for all these people, it says, you know, oh, it's okay. I can do what I want to, and I don't feel any conviction. I'd be very careful about saying anything. I think I would run to the front and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm your son, but forgive me. I repent. I want to do better. I want you to convict me when I say something stupid. I want you to deal with me when my attitude gets wrong. I want somebody, even if it's Dake Balaam's donkey, they'll tell me, you need to straighten up. So Jeremiah says, God's dealing with me. So now then, we'll go to verse 17. I gave up on life altogether. Here's the great prophet. I've forgotten what the good life is like. Woo! When I used to go to church, it used to be shouting, and we used to sing fast songs. And we, I mean, it would be warm and fuzzy and glowing, and people would love you, but now that I'm at a place where I don't even feel like I'm even loved. Next verse. So I said to myself, boy, this is where you get in trouble. But I said to myself, that's it. I'm finished. Here's a note. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. God is a lost cause. Now, for you that are on the internet going to hear this, I didn't say God was a lost cause. I said the Bible says God is a lost cause. The scripture says in verse 18, I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. This is Jeremiah. This is the great prophet. This is the guy that is absolutely tearing up heaven and hell through his obedience and willingness. But something happened, and next week I'll tell you what happened. And now God's on him like a rat on a cheetah. And you, you know what he did? He did exactly what you and I do. We pout when we get correction for somebody. When the preacher says, please don't put your feet on the back of the pew, that costs money. Well, I'll never go back. Well, fine. Take your stinking attitude and go home. I'm good. 
I was normal before I met you. That's what I told the kids. Hey, listen, I was, me and your wife, we were normal before we had you, so. He got to the place where he said, God's a lost cause. And I know you would never say that, but you probably have. Somewhere, something has happened along the way. You started out good, and everything was fine, and then something happened in your life that you didn't understand nor agree with, and this is what you say. You're on the side of the road and said, I can't make 26.2 miles. I barely made a block. I'm done. I'm over. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. Now, if you're not careful in your immaturity, that you'll buy into that. And I mean that in a nice way because he doesn't give you everything that you want when you want it. I understand that. So what happens is this. So what did Jeremiah do that even though that he had this great negative outlook and confession on his life? And the answer is he changed his focus. So he gets through telling you that I'm the man that's under God's correction. I'm the man that's under God's anger. I, I forgot about the good life. It used to be fun and games. It used to be thrills and thrills. They used to applaud me when I walked into the city. Now they want to throw rocks at me. They used to hug me and tell me that I look good and smell good. Now then they just stick your tongue out at me during church. I mean, God is a lost cause. Show verse 19 through 24. But now then he's about to change his focus. Same guy, but he said, I'll never forget the troubles, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, and the poison that I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting bottom. You know, hitting bottom's not really that bad of a deal. No other place to go but up. Now watch what he says. But there's one thing one other thing that I remember, and I keep remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning, and how great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God, and I'm going to say it over and over. He's all I got left. Sometimes God will sever some of your friends from your life. Sometimes God will prune stuff out of your life. And in the midst of pruning, you're going to yell and scream and wince and say, God, you don't love me anymore. And if you love me, you'd allow me to have that. And, and you know I need new Harley. And you, Albert, you still got a Harley? Uh, I figured that. Because he, got, he gets a new Harley. So, and, and, But when God starts pruning things out of your life, you go, well, it used to be fun. It used to be happy. And now then I'm having to really, really trust you at things. And, and he said, this one thing that I do remember, and I'll keep remembering that your mercies are new every morning. I'm going to stick with God because he's all I got left. One of the concepts you'll hear about this verse is this, that Jeremiah remembered. He remembered swallowing the ashes. He remembered the poison. He remembered the pain. He remembered the conflict. He remembered the struggle. He remembered all that stuff. But he said, above that, I'm going to remember this, that God's love has never run out on me. 
As a matter of fact, I wrote this down. Not only that he said that he remembered God's mercy and love would never run out on him, but God's mercy and love would never run out and leave him behind. So the idea this morning that not only that we know that God's love will never run out because it's infinite, but here's what you need to understand. He would never run out on you personally. He'll stay with you. So here we have a guy that goes from, I'm over, I'm through, I'm done, I'm finished. God is a lost cause. And then the next verse, something happens to him, and he said, I remember the ashes, I remember the poison, I remember the pain, I remember the people, I remember all this stuff that's driven me. You see, what he's telling you is this stuff that people do to you and say about you will cause you to lose your sense of endurance. What's the use? They don't care. What's the use of me coming up here? You don't care. God, what's the use of me trying to do something? They don't care. And after I had my pity party about the whole block and I'm the only one who showed up, but this is what I say, but God, even though that they have removed themselves from my life, you've never removed yourself from my life. You're all I've got left. And here's the deal. If, if all you have is God, you got it all. You don't need a group of people. You don't need a pack of individuals to make you confident and strong. You need God. And every once in a while, God will take you to a place mentally, physically, and emotionally where everyone else is not even in sight. But you realize all you've got is God. And that's a good thing. So lastly, this morning, so the key to Jeremiah finishing successfully is that he remembered promises from God. So the question is, has your endurance levels dried up and you find yourself on the side of the road and wanting to give up and wanting to lament like the great lamentations speaker has? And if you do, here's the key to it. I'm going to ask you, where's your focus? Is it on the problem? Or is it on the problem solver? That's pretty simple. So this is how Jeremiah turned it around. In 17 and 18, he was focusing on his problem. So can we all agree we all have problems, I guess? We do. In-laws, outlaws, health issues, financial issues. Marital issues, we're still having trouble getting our spouse to agree that we're right. You know, we got all that issue. <laughs> but immediately he turned around and he said, even though that I'm very familiar with the poison and the ashes, but one thing I keep remembering over and over and over, God's love for me will never run out in supply and never run out from my life. Jesus said, I will never leave you comfortless. That is word for orphananos, an orphan. I'll never leave you like an orphan. An orphan only knows two things in the negative. He never knows who his father is, and he never knows where home is. He can live in foster places, but an orphan 
at the end of the day, when that child never knows who his real father is and never know where home is, Jesus said, you'll never go as an orphan in this life. You'll always know who your father is and you'll always know where home is. And home is where God is. So this morning, you may say, well, my wife and I are not getting along. My boss and I are not getting along. Nothing's working. It worked a year ago, but everything is falling apart. And preacher, it's so bad. Watch this. All I got is God. You're in good company. God is all we need. Hebrews chapter 12, the rest of the verse says this, verse 2. Looking, a forio, is a Greek word. To the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So Isaiah 52 says this, that while he was on the cross, that he saw his seed. The great messianic, Isaiah 53, excuse me. He said that it must travail that even though that he was born on the cross, it must travail, but it pleased God that, that he saw his seed and he was satisfied. It means this, that when he was on the cross, Brandon, he saw you and said, I'm willing to endure the cross that Brandon Hunter might be saved. Think about that. And for you that are so liberal-minded in your faith, you think that this, this Christianity is a democracy and you voted and you decided to find God. I'm telling you, a dead man can't do anything. You are dead in sins and trespasses. Regeneration means that you are dead. You didn't have the ability to cry out to God. It is only because of his mercy that while you are dead and trespassing in sin, he said that I want you. Isaiah gives you this wonderful insight that while he was upon the cross, that he saw his seed being in much travail and much anguish. But he said, because I can see Kim Burge, I can see Kerry Webb, I can see Don Dixon, I can see Jeffrey Weiss, and because I can see the outcome of what they'll become with endurance, I will bear the cross. It's a bigger picture. So you're going to ask the question, you mean to tell me that he saw me 600 years before he were born? Yes. He saw you. He called you in, into this conversion of Christianity. And because that he saw you back then and called you his own back then, and brought this thing to fruition that he suffered upon the cross because he knew what you would become today. How many mother ever gave birth to a child and in the middle of giving birth to a child and that child is born, you look at the child and say, you little knucklehead, you caused me so much pain. Every mother that goes through, I mean, those childbearing is pretty tough, I guess. I don't know. Men, don't ever make the statement, we're having a child. You're not doing anything. <laughs> You're in the lobby watching Sports Illustrated. She is having a child. <laughs> and I can say this to you because my daughter-in-law's gone. She's fixing to have another. But how many of those women, I mean, I'm just talking to you, that it probably hurts like a man trying to pass a roll of barbed wire. Okay, if, if you never had children. Does anybody, any lady here have children? 
Does it feel good? Oh, really? Really? Does it hurt? How bad does it hurt? Welcome to Childbirthing 101. Be careful. I mean. But why do you do it? Why do you go through it? I mean, why do you go through it? Because you know about three seconds after childbirth, Jesus said all the anguish and the pain of that trailer mother will go away because being able to hold that child. Whitney, you, you would never, you'd never say it and they wouldn't understand, but you, you would want them to say, if you knew how much pain I went through to get you, but you would never bring that up. You can't pull out the mama card on them. You can't do that. <laughs> only, only when they get a teenager and pull it out every time. I carried you around. But why, women, do you go through such pain? The answer is, is because the joy of that child. And why would Jesus go to a cross and give his own life in so much shame and mental language? It's because he knew that you would believe in him and be able to spend eternity with him. That's why he endured the cross. So, so what if we have to go through some things? Big deal. So what if we have to suffer some things? So what if we have to endure some things? When we see the outcome of how it's gonna affect other people, with gladness, we will say, I'll endure it because of the joy that's set before me. Agreed? Yes. Father, this morning that we believe with all of our heart that you have called us into this race. You've given us giftings, power, ability, talents. Your Holy Spirit has been has been ushered into our life to give us wisdom and intellect. And, but there's one thing that we have to have is endurance. And unfortunately, it only comes one way through sufferings, injuries, perseverance, severances, being falsely accused. These things that we have to go through in life and life itself produces something in our life. There's no shortcuts. There's no easy button to mash. So from time to time that we are led by your spirit to go through hardships, whether it be financial, physical, emotional. And we can find ourselves in two places, maybe even both like Jeremiah, that while we're by ourselves, we're saying that, that this is a lost cause, that I'm finished, it's over, what's the use? But if we'll remember that your love for us is great. And when we begin to remember over and over, it's not how we began this thing, but it's how we're going to end it. And when we really begin to surmise the summation of what it's all about, God, all I have is you. Something magically is, is imparted into our life, endurance. So help us as the body of Christ 
If there's someone this morning that we know that is tired and they've run out of gas and they're on the side of the road spiritually with their thumbs sticking out, help us to bear one another's burdens. Help us to teach them to endure hardships like a good soldier, Paul tells Timothy. That we may be the people of God that will finish this race that is set before us with success in Jesus' name. Before we stand this morning, I want to pray for you and your situation and your health and your marital problems and your finances and stuff that you may be going through right now, cantations that's being spoken against you right now, your lack of self-worth, your lack of self-confidence, all these things, the lack of friends, the lack of supports of other people, maybe like Jeremiah, you find yourself in that position, but I'm telling you, when your front and back pockets are empty of things and places and people, and all you have is God left, you, you have more than enough. God, thank you for every hardship and every trial that we're going through. And thank you for my brothers and sisters in this church. Thank you because you've given us the spirit of grace and love and power. And every day your mercies endure in our lives. No weapon that's formed against us shall prosper. That God that we're, we're the head and not the tail. We're on top and we are not beneath. We are blessed in the city and the field. No matter where we go, the blessings of God seems to be the anthem that is placed upon our forehead. We pray for healing for our bodies. We pray for sanity for our minds. We pray for encouragement for those that seem to be discouraged. We are the body of Christ. Help us to remember that your mercies are new and fresh for us every day while we endure every hardship for the kingdom's sake in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, amen. amen. If, give the Lord a praise offering this morning. Huh? Amen. Turn about two people and say, not only am I going to make it, but I'm going to make it with a smile. Tell them that, huh? Stand with me this morning, if you would, please. Endurance. We're going to endure. Next week, we'll give you all the Greek information about it. If something's going on in your life. Communion service, please come. Something is going on in your life. Something is moving. Something is rearranging. You're digging deeper. You're getting a hold of hope. You're getting a hold and a grip of hope, he said. Don't let go. It may look bad for a moment, but I'll tell you, God will turn the thing around. Keep your confession right. Honor God. Love God. He'll bring it to pass. That night, 2,000 years ago, Jesus sat with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup. And he said, for 2,000 years, you've been, or for 1,500 years, excuse me, you've been celebrating this, this ordinance of the unleavened bread. But Jesus said, now then, I am the bread of life that was sent down from my Father. And as often as you need this bread, it will remind you of me. Then he took the cup and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the covenant of the shedding of the lamb's blood. The first Passover, they would take the blood and apply it to the, both sides of the door and on the top in the shape of a cross. And when the death angel came that night, that it would pass over that household. Jesus said, I am 
the Lamb of God, which now takes away the sins of the world. And my Father will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Father, with all my heart, thank you for allowing things, people, and places to be severed in my life. That all I had was you. Friends turned their back. Families walked away. People that made promises didn't keep them. And for a moment there, like my friend Jeremiah, I said, I'm through and it's over. But I'm so thankful that your Holy Spirit would not let me live by those words. Some of you this morning have said exactly that. I'm done, it's over, I'm through. But the reason why you're here today is because the Holy Spirit would never leave you abandoned. He's crawled into your bed with you at night and he's laid his head up on your pillow that's soaked in tears and telling you that your children will be all right. I'll save your household. I'm making plans for you. So Father, this morning as we celebrate Holy Communion, let us rejoice in this fact alone that all we have left is God. He's more than enough. We will endure in Jesus' name.